Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Hello? Josh, hey, it's Luke. Hey, what's up, bud? Hey, did you know that 30 years ago this week, the number one single in the country was Richard Marks' Right Here Waiting? I love that song. I know you do. I remember you playing that song on piano all the time, just that little intro over and over. And I don't I'm pretty know sure that you... that's the only thing I could play on the piano. That's what I was going to say. I don't think you play piano. No, you just not know... at all. Why do you know that song? Uh, man, I don't remember which girlfriend it was, but at some point, <laughs> that was our song. It was a great song. So it was 89. Who would you have been dating in 1989? There's no telling. Oh, there's just so many. <laughs> you know, at 14, you're such a dating machine. Well, it must have been special because you learned how to play this song on piano for her. Absolutely. Which is impressive because we didn't own a piano. No, we didn't. I can just imagine you with a tear rolling down your cheek while you play it for that mystery girlfriend. And it always makes me miss the big bouffant-looking mullet thing, too, because he had some stick hair going on. You had a nice mullet. We've talked about that on the show. But mine didn't come up as high. I mean, the elevation that he got up top impressive. I mean, his Aquanet bill must have been sick. It's true. What you lacked in height, you made up for in depth. It was a long mullet. Well, that's true. But, I mean, you know, I like the way you work it. Anyway, I just wanted you to know that that song was the number one single 30 years ago this week. That's good to know. I love that song. I'll have to go find a piano and play the opening bars. I bet you will. Okay, man. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> All right, man. Talk to you soon. Bye. See ya. From Milieu Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Bronner. This is Season 1, Episode 25, Freddy Krueger and the Ones Who Got Away. Today we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, August 12, 1989. Hello friends and fellow nostalgia fiends, and welcome to another episode of hopefully your favorite 1989 pop culture year in review podcast. This is going to be a pretty short episode, but not because I don't want to do a deep dive on everything that was happening 30 years ago this week. Instead, it's because I'm about to hop on a plane bound for glorious Orlando, Florida to spend the rest of the week with a couple thousand other podcast producers, hosts, editors, and connoisseurs at what is objectively and without question the greatest podcast conference on the planet, Podcast Movement 2019. But before I go, I did at least want to run through a few 30-year-old pop culture headlines. The only truly notable thing that happened this week in 1989 was that on August 9th, four-star Army General Colin Powell became the first black chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. That may not sound like a huge deal today, but it absolutely was 30 years ago, especially in light of the fact that he held that role throughout the Persian Gulf War. He was the first and still the only Jamaican-American to serve on the Joint Chiefs of Staff and in 2001 became the first black Secretary of State under President George W. Bush. Less culturally significant, but still worth mentioning, the number one film at the box office for the second straight week was Ron Howard's Parenthood, starring the always brilliant Steve Martin. But another major film was released this week as well. James Cameron's groundbreaking sci-fi epic The Abyss, starring Ed Harris. 
Also new in theaters this week, the fifth film in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, The Dream Child, in which the villainous main character, Freddy Krueger, apparently wants to be a dad. I don't know. It's really bad. So my longtime friend and cousin-in-law, Caleb Sanderson, stopped by to talk about it in a segment we call Truly Horrible Things. Caleb, welcome to 30 Pop. So great to have you on. Thank you. It's great to be here. So we are recording a segment called Truly Horrible Things, brought to us by a company called Truly Horrible Things. They make really funny card games, just like we used to play way back when we were kids, mm -hmm. before we had phones and things like that to occupy all of our attention. Their games are full of humor and sarcasm. They're really, really fun for kind of the whole family. There are also director's cuts that you would play when your kids aren't around. Right. So uh, you can dark. check them out at trulyhorribletheings.com. So today we're going to talk about a film that released 30 years ago this week. We're going to talk specifically about the film that released, but we're really going to talk about the whole franchise. So A Nightmare on Elm Street Part five, The Dream Child. So, so bad. So you and I just sat through the trailers for the first seven Nightmare on Elm Street movies. What'd you think? What they wouldn't have given for what, Apple Studios or the iMovie maker just for those trailers. Those trailers were yeah. put together very horribly. The graphics were fantastic, of course. But they still do the in a world where you yeah, live yeah, yeah. on Elm Street, you know. And so Super Campy, which is, I guess, what made those movies. I'll admit I never saw Dream Child. Because why would you? I mean, like, if you've seen, that's what's funny. So let's talk about just the concept, the whole concept. If people don't remember the Freddy Krueger movies, we grew up in a time where, like, there was nothing more terrifying that you could say to a kid in the 80s than Freddy Krueger or Jason, you yeah, know, that was... Or Michael Myers. Start singing that someone to he's after you. Yes, you know. I remember hearing that at school, and it was just so scary. I would have never watched a Freddy movie when I was a kid because I would have been way too scared. Right. But looking back at it, I mean, they're just basically comedies. Like, they're just ridiculous. But so the whole concept is you have this guy. He's got this, like, fried, weird face, and he wears a glove with these great big blades on it. But he only can hurt you in your dreams if you live on a particular street. <laughs> yeah, like, which is genius because that street is, as it said in the trailer, in every single town. Yes, so there's kid, always an Elm Street. When you're like on Elm Street, you're like, this is a real place yes. because nobody lives on Elm Street anymore. But, but it's such an interesting yeah. concept to think that like this is a person who attacks you in your dreams physically, mm -hmm. but he's like bound by geography. You know, like I just think it's If amazing. I remember correctly, isn't that like the house or the area in which he was killed? That may be true. Like, I don't actually know. So I've seen some of these movies as a teenager, but mm -hmm. like I couldn't even bring myself to go like rewatch them to research for this episode because I watched the trailers and I'm like, I can't. It's just so stupid. But you watch the trailer, so you've seen the movies. That's true. They, don't have they the, pretty much give yeah. you everything, yeah. Yeah, you just don't know the origin story of how Freddy Krueger came to be, Yeah, which I don't really either, but I do think he was burned alive as maybe a person who abused kids in a house, and now he's coming back to I don't know. continue it's, that. It's just crazy, though. So, like, we... <laughs> One of the fun things we watched, and I'll put this link in the show notes. We watched a playlist on YouTube of the seven trailers all back to back. And what's funny is like the sixth movie is called Freddy's Dead. And then four years later, they bring him back with a new nightmare. Absolutely. And the concept of that film apparently was that once they had stopped making the movies about Freddy, he became 
a reality. So like in the last movie, it is the director and the actors and the special effects people and the people who worked on the set are suddenly actually being haunted and murdered by Freddy. They had set him free. And there's even a line in there that says the only way to stop him is to make another movie. Absolutely. And it's great because that's Wes Craven. Like Wes Craven does the original and then he's like, I'm done for what five more films. And then he's, I want to do this again. So he comes back and it's the super meta. I'm the director, writer, and now I'm an actor in this world that I've created. Parroting himself, basically. Which is genius. Yeah. So you mentioned that he was also responsible for all the Scream movies, Mm -hmm. which I actually love the Scream movies, but not because they're good movies. I love them because they are reminiscent for me of like high school, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And the whole point of the Scream movies were to kind of mock this genre of horror storytelling that was popular throughout the 80s. Yeah, all yeah. That oh, stuff. the rules. The yeah, rules all the rules. From, and from so screen, yeah. these are where these rules came from, is you know from your slasher films and Freddy Krueger films that Wes Craven had his hands all over. Sure. And that looks like he was getting his start with this Freddy yeah. Returns or the next chapter, New Freddy, whatever. The, oh, the new nightmare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's what's funny. In 89, though, they were huge. I mean, mm-hmm. so like this film released a few weeks after we just talked about Friday the 13th, I think it was eight had just come out, yeah. which they did 12 films, which is insane. Right. But we'd had Pet Cemetery this year. I think there was a Halloween movie in 89. Mm-hmm. I mean, like all of those big franchises that made so, so many films, yeah. they were all huge in right. 89. And maybe even on the decline at this point, because when we were eight films in to the one franchise, five films, as we watched those trailers, you could tell that Nightmare on Elm Street 5 was where it just gets really absurdly ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like stupid, silly one-liner jokes, Freddie wearing sunglasses, Freddie wearing a chef's hat, like playing video st- games, driving a bus. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's just so crazy. And there's so many pop culture references. He says at one point in there, now I'm playing with power or whatever, which is the Nintendo. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, so bad. You know, but even as a five-year-old in 1989, so, so terrifying still. Of course. And like the genius concept of it. I remember going to, for Halloween, a haunted house thrown by our local fireman, the scariest part, there was like a, a guy with a chainsaw, like sawing a girl in half, which sticks in my head. But the scariest part was should. having to walk by Freddy Krueger at the end with his glove on, yeah. which as a kid, I always just thought he was a bad Wolverine. Yeah. Um, but still terrifying. And, mm-hmm. and what's funny is like kids dressed up as this character. I remember yeah. kids having the mask and the sweater and that, you know, he had a look. Robert England, I think, is the guy's name. Yeah, I think that's correct. I don't know if he's still alive or not. I think he reprised his role in 2010, if You're I'm not mistaken. Me. So the, you said that they rebooted the series. Yeah, they got a remake but it in was 2010, still and I think he reprised it. What's funny is the concept isn't entirely bad. No. Like the idea, I mean, a little bit the geography piece is, but like the idea of a thing that haunts you and your nightmares you mm-hmm. know, affecting your reality, like you could do something pretty great with that. Absolutely. They just didn't. No, they personified it too much. Yeah. If they had to just let it be abstract like dreams are that we can't really put our thumbs on, fingers on as far as like this is what happened. And so there's something intangible about it. Yeah. And that that's what's haunting us. That would, I think, yeah. affect a lot more people. You're a writer. I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe take a stab at it. Yeah, the real nightmare. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Anyway, truly horrible film, truly horrible franchise. Yeah. But in the way that like I'm so glad it exists. Mm-hmm. You know, and I kind of do now want to go back and rewatch all of these ridiculous films. Yeah. Looking back, it gives you appreciation for today's movie making because yes, we remake and we put sequels to everything, mm-hmm. but at least we don't have eight sequels for one movie. 
and that's true. Eight terrible sequels. Toy Story Four came out and it was great. All of those movies have been really. Great. Yeah, and I did hear this week though that Disney has announced a Home Alone reboot. Yeah, that breaks my heart. It may be my all-time favorite movie. Absolutely, and I don't want to see it's it. It's a year-round classic, and for me, it certainly is mm-hmm. at least once a month. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Caleb, thanks so much for being on to celebrate this another truly horrible thing. Absolutely. Thanks, as always, to my friends, Stevie and Paul, over at Truly Horrible Things for making an often dark world a little bit brighter. Check out their games over at trulyhorriblethings.com. Moving on to no surprise, the number one album on the Billboard charts 30 years ago for the fourth straight week was Prince's Batman soundtrack. Which, while it was great and all, there really isn't just a ton to say about it. It was just good. The number one single in the country for the first of three consecutive weeks was, as I mentioned in the opening call, Richard Marx's classic piano ballad, Right Here Waiting. In the spirit of that romantic sap fest of a song, I sat down with my friends Aaron Hale and Nate Williams once again to talk about our greatest loves of 1989 and the links we went to to try to win their hearts, each of us ultimately failing. Here's our conversation. Aaron, Nate, thank you so much for being back on 30 Pop. Thanks for having us. Yes, Luke, this is fantastic. I want to ask you all one simple question. So 1989, who was your, and I'm not talking about celebrity, who was your crush? Oh. Mm. We're just going to air it out right here. Yeah, that's easy. Go for it. Oh, well, mine, this was actually during a transitional period. I was moving from one girl to another. Okay. Because the first one from growing up had moved away, Laura Gorecki. That's like the lifer. So Laura Gorecki moves away after a couple years. So I picked up Kristen Cavello for about three, four good years. But then nice. most amazing thing happened. Laura Gorecki moves back. Uh-oh. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So In Cavello, 89 or just eventually? It is around 1990 that she moves back. Like okay. I said, so okay. 89, this is a transition. You're still period. pining for her at this From, point. Yeah, Laura Gorecki's deep in my heart, but I know she's unattainable because she moved somewhere. <laughs> But Kristen Cavello, fifteen minutes away. Probably, (laughs) Kristen Cavello though. She could have been anywhere. (laughs) China, Beaumont, it doesn't matter. Cyprus, (laughs) Cyprus. Yeah, but no, this was Kristen Cavello's time to shine. So, did you ever have your chance with Laura? Laura made a couple half-ass attempts in life. You know, she did, or you? No, I did. I did. There were couple times where it was very pitiful i wasn't in the same cast as laura gorecki gotcha. she was gotcha she was upper level i was lower class citizen yeah but that's the so one if you're listening laura uh, laura Aaron, what about you so a little special information about me i don't know up until about third grade i was a huge ladies man <laughs> my Self-described. <laughs> no, no. I have this memory of like being at a Valentine's Day party, and my mom was like chaperoning it or whatever in elementary school, and all of the girls in my class telling her that they were in love with me, every one of them. But in '89, there was this one girl named Misty that would push me up against the fence and kiss me, and I pretended like I didn't like it, but I absolutely loved it. <laughs> and I was in love with this girl named Amy Winchie, who was going out with a boy. <laughs> Named Derek going out. I'm using yeah. air quotes. Yeah. But someone had told me that she liked me and Derek, but Derek ended up getting to her before mm-hmm. me. And I was really mad about that. And so for Valentine's Day, I wrote her a note. And mm-hmm. I remember writing this. There we out. go. Dear Amy, I love you. Love Aaron. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Strong. 
But I had it was Valentine's. And you were six years old. Yeah, whatever that okay. is. Yeah, and I had to stay in from recess for some reason. So I asked this girl Jennifer to give my Valentine to Amy, and she went out, and I stayed in class, and I was just pint, th- you know, uh, thinking about what rough. was happening out yeah. there. And Jennifer comes back in, doesn't say anything, and I'm like, "What the heck? Hey, did you give?" <laughs> Did you give the Valentine to Amy? And she said, yeah. And I said, what did she say? She said, she didn't say anything. She just ripped it up and threw it on the ground. Oh, oh man. Devastated. I don't know to this day if that actually happened. But a couple of years later, when she was going out with Derek Jones. Uh, Derek, Derek still, Jones. Still with Derek? I don't know if it was like a on and off thing, but wow. I did not like that she was going out with him. So I remember I had this thing that it was like a envelope that I wrote on it. I wrote, Dear Amy, I don't like you anymore. You should go out with someone like Aaron. Love, Derek. Oh, <laughs> oh gosh. And I got Huge. someone to give it to her. And I remember sitting on the playground and watching from afar. Big Someone dog. go over there and give Amy this letter, and I see her I'm with so her. I'm so disappointed in you. I know. I see her with her friends. They're like surrounding her, and they're all. She's like, "What the heck?" I can see her like looking at them, like, "What is this?" And then yes. she walks. I remember seeing her walk across the playground over to Derek and his friends, and I'm like, "Oh shit, I'm <laughs> I'm boned here." <laughs> and I see her like, you know, like. What is this? You know, I don't know what she's saying, but I'm like, oh, sh-. I'm like pretending like that this is not going on. I'm with my friends, and Derek's like shrugging his shoulders and like holding I love his hands. How like animated they are from a distance. Right, so right. That you can. I'm watching. Like, oh no! Oh no! I blew it. I didn't think they'd actually speak to each other. You just thought it'd be done. She'd tear the note up. Yeah. Be done. Come running to your arms. Come running to me. Yeah, Derek. Per Derek's her. request. <laughs> I mean, he may be breaking her heart, but he gives great love advice. Yeah, Yeah, he's recommending that she come to me now. So then I see her start turn and come toward me and my friends, and I'm like, oh, boy. I'm like, pretend like this is just pretend like nothing's going on. She and her friends come over, and one of her friends goes, here's your letter back, Aaron. And she threw the letter on the ground. And I was like, what letter? Like, immediately. Like, whoa. (laughs) Like, I was so defensive immediately. You know, like, well, I didn't write any letter. Immediately. I certainly didn't sign it, Derek. (laughs) (laughs) And my friend Adam ran over, and he picked it up off the ground. I was like, you wrote this, didn't you, Adam? And he totally took credit for it. And I never even had to think about it ever again. That's amazing. But you didn't get your chance. But she went up. She she was like at a slumber party that night with my sister. I have a twin sister. The same night? (laughs) Same night. And she was like, did your brother write that letter? And my sister goes, I think he wrote a letter. I remember him saying he wrote a letter, which I did not tell my sister. She's a liar. (laughs) Anyway, I never did go out with Amy, but I loved her until senior year of high school. Really? Yeah, I did. That's funny. So I had a girl named Tiffany Van Dusen, and I don't know if I ever really told her, but from literally the first day of kindergarten, she was in my kindergarten class, and I really, I honestly think all it was is that she was the only other kid not crying. <laughs> we got dropped <laughs> off, and I was like, "That'll do oh, it." Yeah, I mean, I heard like the Wayne's World Dreamweaver song, you know? Yeah, <laughs> she has great emotional strength. Yeah. And so I was crazy about this girl all the way through elementary school. I finally started to like have girlfriends in fifth grade with other girls who weren't her. But I always, always would have. In fact, in fifth grade, I had a girlfriend named Lauren and I had a job at the time. My family had a little cleaning service and my dad paid us like a hundred dollars a month was our salary. Anyway, so I had money. I would get like a hundred dollars once a month. Yeah, it was awesome. I thought I was so rich. You were rich for fifth (laughs) grade. For fifth grader, yeah. So... (laughs) 
I was. We were so poor that my family had to take a second job altogether. Anyway, they had to employ we cleaning, their fifth grade son. We were cleaning my dad's office building where he worked full time. Yeah. Anyway, so Valentine's Day comes around and they do the little store in one of the classrooms. You know, they set up like a little store with like crap that you can buy. For oh, your, those were my favorites. Or maybe I it was Christmas. That. It was a Christmas store. Yeah, That's yeah. what it was. It was Christmas. Yep. It's like and, a secret Santa store or something. Yes. Yeah. I remember telling my girlfriend, Lauren, I've got $100. She can get anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I bought a heart necklace that had gold dust on it. Oh. And I put it under Tiffany's desk. Or I put it in her desk. I love that her name is Tiffany. This is the most 80s name. Tiffany Van Dusen. Amazing. Yeah. But I remember, I mean, so we, you know, I was growing up in a time when like the internet didn't exist until high school. And after fifth grade, I moved to the other side of the school district. All my friends went to one high school in junior high and I went to the other side. So I never saw these people again. Including Tiffany? Including Tiffany. I couldn't, I've never seen her again since fifth grade other than on like social media. Wow. Yeah. And she's married with kids and the whole deal now. But in another life. So here's the thing. I put that necklace under her desk. She was in a different class than me, and so I put her under the wrong desk because oh. they they would they would. Did it have her name or anything on it? I don't know if it did or not, but it didn't have my name on it. I know that, but I think this kid Josh got it. Oh no! I guarantee he gave it to his mom for Christmas. <laughs> That's pretty. That's good. my story. Yeah. That's a good story. So Tiffany, this one was for you. <laughs> it was always meant for you, Tiffany. And Amy. And Amy. And, and Laura. Laura. Oh. The ones that got away. Yeah. Oh, man. Thank you guys so much for being on. We'll have you on again soon. Thanks. See you, buddy. Huge thanks to Josh, Aaron, and Nate for being a part of this episode. Thanks also to Caleb, who will be back next week to talk about the 30th anniversary of the amazing Sega Genesis. But thanks most of all to you for listening, sharing, rating, and reviewing this show. If you want more, be sure to partner with me at the Patreon link in the show notes. For as little as $1 a month, you can get bloopers, deleted scenes, and other bonus content from this and other Milieu Media Group podcasts. If you need some killer 1989 music to listen to, be sure to check out the 30 Pop Mixtape playlist on Apple Music or Spotify. I update those every week with the top 40 songs from 30 years ago. You'll find links to those as well as all of our social media channels in the show notes. I'll be back next week for episode 26, so I hope you'll join me. But until then, whatever you do, don't go to sleep. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Milieu Media Group, visit milieumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1989 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>